Ed Greenwood's character Elminster once said, There are only two precious things on Earth. The first is love. The second, a long way behind it, is intelligence. This is Save versus Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about Setting Spotlight, the Forgotten Realms. Really quick, I want to comment on my opening quote from this episode. I really do like it a lot. It's uh, it's a good quote, but Albert Einstein once said, Creativity is more important than intelligence, so I really wish the quote were that there were two precious things on Earth, love and creativity. But I, I guess I kind of get it. My thought is that creativity and intelligence are really just the divide between between intelligence and wisdom, the knowledge of things and the ability to use that knowledge. Okay, all right, I'll accept that. That works. So anyway, today we're talking about the Forgotten Realms, setting spotlight. So the Forgotten Realms is an old, venerable setting, and it's ubiquitous. And I have such a hate on for the Forgotten Realms. I oh, I I have some deep personal issues with this setting. I have some mixed feelings about this setting myself, so let's uh, delve into this. The first thing we want to go over is what The Forgotten Realms is. The Forgotten Realms is Ed Greenwood's personal setting, which he created as a child in, what, 1970-something? 1967 at the age of eight is what Wikipedia says. 1967? Eight years old? Well, I mean, you know, good that he was getting in on it early. Yeah, he ended up selling the setting to TSR much later, and it was included in the first edition and second edition and third edition and fourth edition and fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. It is arguably the single most popular campaign setting ever created. It is massively popular, and to to really do it justice, I think that we should do just a, a brief history of the setting itself, of what happened with the Forgotten Realms in our world. Uh, let's see, it was created in 1967. In 1979, Ed Greenwood started publishing articles in Dragon Magazine talking about different specific things in the Forgotten Realms setting. And 1987 is when they released the first, uh, the, the Gray Box, the Forgotten Realms Gray Box. Right. And let's see, in 1990 is when they released the Forgotten Realms Adventures, which is really the the core second edition material for it. Now, with all of that, the players of Dungeons & Dragons at the time really latched onto this setting. Why? Well, it it was different than what else they were being offered. It was not J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth. It wasn't the standard hobbits and dragons and elves and dwarves. And it wasn't just a fancy version of our Earth. Thank you, Gary Gygax. (laughs) Moreover, it was a cohesive world. There was a history behind this world that was set out in the uh, campaign books, and there were some very interesting people and places. And I I think if we want to talk about the Forgotten Realms, we really need to talk about those two things, the places and the people, in that order. All right, yeah. Now, my introduction to Forgotten Realms was 
primarily through the video game series that included the Forgotten Realms in it. My very first one was Pools of Radiance, which I had for my Nintendo, but uh, I also had the Commodore 64 version, but I have almost no recollection of it particularly. I feel like I just played the Nintendo version pretty exclusively, but having said that, um, a lot of those video games, they didn't really require you to have a strong understanding of the setting of Forgotten Realms. They just required you to know D&D and how D&D worked and to be able to read through the very basic material that came in it. I also played through a few modules and ran a few modules that were set in Forgotten Realms back in the second edition era, but once again, it didn't really require you to know the full setting. You just had to have a basic understanding of what the Forgotten Realms was, how it worked, and what you could expect from it. I found that the most interesting places in the Forgotten Realms were adapted over over and over and over into different media. The cities of Flan, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter, and Waterdeep were all put into different video games. Uh, Waterdeep was in Eye of the Beholder 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, and Flan was the city in Pool of Radiance that the adventurers are clearing out. I think canonically Flan was cleared out of monsters and now is a thriving metropolis with just uh, some border monster problems, not so much overrun with monsters, but I can't particularly remember that specifically. Um, Baldur's Gate, of course, being the setting of the game Baldur's Gate, and Neverwinter being the setting of Neverwinter Nights. All of those games were actually pretty spectacular, especially for their times. The gold box games for the Forgotten Realms, I think that would be... I remember Pool of Radiance, and then after Pool of Radiance was uh, Curse of the Azure Bonds, Secret of the Silver Blades, and I think Pools of Darkness was the last one set in Mesoberadzin, the Drow City, right? I think so. I'll admit, most of my uh, ties to the Forgotten Realms through the video games were Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, and Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2. I mean, I I loved all of the cool characters and all of the interesting places in these big cities and this great big story that's going on. And yeah, they, they were pretty standard hack-and-slash role-playing games, but I liked them. They, they were fun. Also, each of these cities has a, at least one module and one adventure devoted to it in standard D&D. John, tell me if you've heard this story before. So, the player characters walk into a tavern, and all around this tavern are people placing bets about whether adventurers will come out of this dungeon. And the entrance to this dungeon is right smack dab in the middle of this tavern. That's Undermountain. Or the Bard's Tale. But, that, I mean, to be fair, every cliche started out somewhere, and it wasn't cliche when it was created. And Undermountain is a great example of that. It's a cliche now to have, like, the adventure start in a tavern that is somehow built on top of this mega dungeon or whatever. But that's not how things used to be. That used to be a really original plot and a truly novel experience. All of these cities have been so well detailed by different modules and adventures that there's really no nook and cranny left to have your own original ideas in these places. And that's fine. When the RPGA first started out, their first living setting was the Forgotten Realms. And so playing in the Forgotten Realms was this big shared experience. 
And one of the things that comes with big shared experiences are encountering people in between different modules and adventures. Encountering the NPCs. And Forgotten Realms is fairly well known for some pretty famous NPCs, for better or for worse. We should probably start out with one of the most famous NPCs of all time, Elminster. Now, Elminster is one of Greenwood's personal characters, and what's worthy of note about Elminster is not only the fact that he's basically a god PC and the chosen of Maestra and a fighter rogue cleric wizard archmage, um, etc., and presented in 3rd edition as a CR-45, but on top of that, he's kind of a recurring character that acts in some cases as a reminder to the player characters that they are by no means the most important, powerful, or useful people in the setting, and I think that's kind of to the detriment of Forgotten Realms. In the intro to this episode, I talked about how I have a hate-on for this setting, and I did a lot of research, and a lot of my hatred toward the Forgotten Realms mellowed. But the thing that still boils my blood are these powerful NPCs that will tell the player characters to do things just because, eh, I don't have time to deal with this. Elminster uh, will sometimes come up to the player characters and go, hey, deal with this, it's beneath me. One of my friends told me of an adventure where if the player characters are doing poorly, Elminster will just appear out of nowhere with a little dog that he's trying to train. And he's trying to teach the little dog commands. And he has this little wand and he's telling the dog to try and stay near him. John, what's the command? for dogs to stay near you. Heal. And he immediately starts healing the party accidentally while trying to teach this dog. And I think that that's kind of uh, condescending to say the least. It's a it's a bit of a problem because Elminster does come off as a condescending DM throwing a dude in to save your butts sort of character an awful lot throughout the Forgotten Realms series and it's pretty much an explicit purpose for him. It's so bad that they actually wrote a book that's basically just torture porn of Elminster going through hell and being absolutely humiliated and destroyed by one of the goddesses of evil and it's actually fairly popular. I remember trying to read it when I was much younger because uh, people online were kind of raving about how good it was which is weird as heck and I I really couldn't stomach it. It had like scenes of him walking around on like stumps of his limbs that had been you know mutilated. I mean it was it was pretty awful. And people were people were kind of cool with this because they hated the character so much. And how do you get to that point, especially with a character that's actually fairly interesting and fairly cool? And the answer is you get condescended by it constantly. And eventually you just want to see him fail just because he's constantly this symbol of endless success and power and this unachievable goal. Once again, in 3rd edition, he's presented as a CR45. Uh, His prestige class is listed as Archmage, but also he has four levels of just epic power. I mean, that's this is ridiculous. I'm looking at special qualities like he has Archmage, High Arcana. He has spells like 54... um, 
spells of certain spell levels, rings of protection, bracers of armor plus seven. This is ridiculous. Two of the things about that character sheet. Look, look at it right now. Two things that actually bother me. Elminster has a small smoking pipe that just so happens to shoot magic missiles out of it. Oh yeah, yeah. Magic missile pipe. And two, Elminster has ranks in perform dance. So that way after he kicks your butt, he can dance on your grave. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Yeah, Spellcraft plus 29 and Knowledge Nobility and just everything on here is just over-the-top BS. And I get it. It's important to have characters in a setting that remind the player characters that the setting is, is supposed to have verisimilitude and that means having powerful individuals in the setting. But one thing that we're constantly stressing here at Save versus Rant is that you need to make your characters feel like their decisions matter and like their choices have an effect on the setting. This is especially important in fantasy settings. Now, if this were a horror setting, it would be perfectly legitimate to say, yeah, there are characters that are always going to be so much more powerful than you that you don't stand a chance against them. That's just how the world works and you're screwed. In a fantasy setting, the characters should feel that someday they might be powerful enough to challenge gods. And I don't feel that gods are powerful enough to challenge Elminster. Quick little aside, a friend of mine named Tony says that one of his favorite things about the Forgotten Realms is the Time of Troubles. In the Time of Troubles, the gods were kicked out of the heavens, forced to take mortal avatar forms and wander the earth. They could go, they were still really powerful, but they could go around and get slain. And these times were recorded in three books and in three modules. And that seems pretty cool. I like the idea of accidentally bumping into a god and maybe even accidentally killing him. That's pretty cool. It does work, and it's good for the setting. Having said that, you have to have characters that can do that. And again, one of the problems with Forgotten Realms is that it's constantly throwing these hyper-powerful NPCs. There are a lot of these very powerful, super important NPCs. Elminster isn't even the only one. Do you want to talk about a really cool, awesome NPC that's super powerful? Okay. okay. I do, but I think what we're actually going to do is talk about Dritz. We're talking about Dritz Duerden, who, when he was originally made, was so cool. He was this outcast character who was a shining beacon of good among the Dark Elves, who came out of that and was shunned by his people and was trying to find his place in the world. I know that there are many people who have identified with that character so much and go, yeah, I too am like Dritz. I am an outcast in this world and I need to find my people. I need to find the people to surround myself with. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, they made their own chaotic good Drow Ranger and played it exactly like Dritz. And I literally don't remember playing with a player who played a Drow that wasn't a Ranger, ever. It, it just, it's never happened. But I've played with several people who wanted to play as Drow. It's always, I want to be a Drow Ranger. I want to be a chaotic, good Drow Ranger who's kicked out of Drow society for being too good. Come on. I can count on one hand the number of Drow characters that have played under me as a DM who were not Rangers. I can count on one finger the number of Drow characters who were not good. And that's one of the problems with Dritzt. One of the problems with Dritzt is that people found out about Dritzt. He is a really cool character, so much so that other people go, well, I want to do that, that exact thing. 
that exact thing right there. Which kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, the entire idea behind the character is that he's unique within Drow society. So while I can totally accept that he inspired other Drow to follow their own chaotic good ranger-tude sort of mission, I really feel like if you're going to go that route, you should do something else, something different, something unique. Especially if you've got this feeling of yourself being like this outcast from society and having difficult difficulty fitting in what you should do is try to focus on some uniqueness but instead people just kind of circled the drain to this lowest common denominator version of uniqueness and ended up doing the same face thing it's it's kind of like the late 90s goth scene where everyone dressed exactly the same and put their makeup on exactly the same and all that when the whole point of goth culture at least at the beginning was to be different and to express your inner self in a manner that was unique and showed your emotional resonance externally. Do you want to know one of the things that bothers me about Dritzt clones that that I've always noticed? What would be that? So the Dritzt character is a male in a matriarchal society. He is the subservient gender, which is kind of a, a takeoff on... Unfortunately, a lot of modern society where patriarchal assholes will uh, try and keep women down. Right. But most Dritz clones still come out with this patriarchal, I'm a man, so therefore I'm powerful type character, as opposed to how Dritz originally appeared, which is meek and just trying to escape. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point as well. Moving on from this, you had another NPC that we wanted to discuss. Oh, okay. So all the things that we've been talking about have been around in the Forgotten Realms since the very beginning, since the late first edition, early second edition era. And so a lot of that old design can be forgiven and forgotten. It was years and years and years ago. It was 29, 30 years ago when all this stuff happened. We've moved on since then. We don't have these hyper-powerful NPCs going along with the player characters and taking over the spotlight. Actually, I have a feeling that you're going to tell me we still do have these hyper-powerful characters going along with the uh, PCs and taking over the spotlight. In the 5th edition adventure, Tomb of Annihilation, there is an NPC named Artis Simber. And I hate, 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 hate Artis Simber so much. He is exactly that. He's a more powerful character who encounters the player characters when they're level 3, maybe level 4. He has a hyper-powerful artifact that shoots out cones of cold and keeps him immortal. Of course, he has a tragic backstory that could completely derail the adventure, and he's willing to drop everything to join the player characters on their adventure and basically take the spotlight. He joins them and makes the player characters his minions, his henchmen, and I thought we were past this. I thought we were past this in game design. I thought we were past this in story design. The way that I ran Artist Simber in my Tomb of Annihilation game was I had him come in, tell the player characters that stuff's going on, and then he left to show the player characters that on the continent of Chult, there was more going on than just their story to show that there's more going on in the world. But, oh my good, the way he's written is the absolute worst. 
So the whole issue with this character is that he's one of those DMPCs that ends up going with the group and overshadowing everything they do, making it so that they become largely irrelevant to their own adventure. He's immortal, you said? He cannot age to death. He can still be killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, he has the Ring of Winter, which was how the Frost Giants determined their line of succession in their uh, kings, which actually kicks off an entirely different adventure. Okay. I mean, seems like that thing should belong to the Frost Giants, or barring that in a museum. But uh, I guess... I guess what I want to say about the Forgotten Realms is that when I look at a setting, the big question I always ask myself with any new setting or any new game is what stories can I tell with this and what games can I play with this that I couldn't play or tell with any other setting? In the case of Forgotten Realms, I feel like the answer is kind of nothing. I mean, unless I'm really in love with some of the NPCs or some of the cities, Forgotten Realms is largely a generic western fantasy setting you know like orth or uh middle earth you know it doesn't have the sort of diversity and variety that you tend to see in modern campaign settings i mean compare and contrast galarian which is a kitchen sink fantasy setting you could find basically anything you want there are you looking for a steampunk setting you have it are you looking for basically cavemen you have it barbarians against robots you have have it pirates versus samurai sure why not all of these are options forgotten realms does have Karatur, which is a oriental adventure setting that's part of the planet that forgotten realms is on it's on a different continent from the primary forgotten realms setting and when people think of forgotten realms they're typically thinking of the sword coast specifically not the whole world of forgotten realms including Karatur, even though they could because largely forgotten realms is a setting meant to play out the pretty typical adventures that are just a struggle between good and evil like you would see in Tolkien or a lot of early fantasy. It is an early fantasy setting that is just been carried over as a legacy setting into modern fantasy and in modern fantasy what we tend to see is a lot more variety. We tend to see these big kitchen sink settings with a lot going on. Forgotten Realms is definitely not that. It does have a lot going on but it doesn't have the same sort of cultural diversity and the same sort of massive complexity that you tend to see in more modern settings. I had this thought about the Forgotten Realms that was comparing modern day computers with the computers that sent us to the moon. Those computers sent us to the moon. They did such amazing things, but they aren't the type of things that we often want, especially if we were doing a gaming computer. The Forgotten Realms was originally designed as a setting by an eight-year-old for simple stories between good and evil. Go fight the evil wizards, slay the dragon, kill the goblins, go back to the large city, become an important person. All of that is very straightforward. And sometimes that's what you want in a game of D&D. But sometimes you want something a little bit deeper, a little bit more involved. I mean, to carry over your moon landing 
analogy, most modern calculators have more power than the computers that brought us to the moon. And frankly, I very seldom say to myself, gosh darn it, I wish I had access to ENIAC right now. It's just not going to happen. The big thing is that Forgotten Realms is a setting that exists as sort of a legacy product in D&D. And when I think of the stories I can tell in Forgotten Realms, most of what I'm going to be telling are stories about the locations in Forgotten Realms, not stories unique to the setting or stories that require the particulars of how this world is set up. Now, do not get us wrong. If you are telling a story about Waterdeep, about Neverwinter, about Baldur's Gate, about any of these wonderful cities in this setting, then this is actually a great place for you. But if you're wanting to tell your own story, kind of go off and just play in the world, then it's not necessarily built for that. One more thing I will say about Forgotten Realms is it is one of the earliest sandbox settings along with Orth. Um, compare and contrast, for example, Dragonlance. Dragonlance could be used as a sandbox setting, but if you were playing Dragonlance, it was generally expected that you were going to play through the Dragonlance saga. And with Forgotten Realms, yeah, there were events going on, there were particular things, but there was no pressing need to play through one specific set of scenarios. If you were playing Forgotten Realms, you weren't necessarily playing through Pools of Radiance or Curse of the Azure Bonds. You had a lot of options there. One other thing is that it was an important setting as far as PC gaming was concerned with D&D because it was the most common setting of the gold box settings for D&D. With the gold box games, there were, I believe, seven games set in the Forgotten Realms and then seven games set in literally every other setting that got a gold box game, be it Al-Kadim, uh, Dark Sun, Kryn and Dragonlance. All of those together were the same as the Forgotten Realms because Forgotten Realms was such an approachable setting by comparison. People who might not be interested in the genie world of al Kadim or the brutal hellscape of Dark Sun were probably going to be drawn to the fantasy of Forgotten Realms. And even if they were into those other two sayings, Forgotten Realms would probably still appeal to them because, like I said, it's generic Western fantasy. And something about generic Western fantasy speaks to us. It is, in fact, the core of D&D. At the base of it, what you see is this generic concept of Western fantasy, these elves and dwarves and humans all fighting against the forces of evil in the form of drow and orcs and goblins. So one last little thing. The Forgotten Realms, as I mentioned, was the setting of the initial RPGA living campaign world. And the idea of a living campaign world is interesting. Pathfinder has the Pathfinder Society stuff. And at some point in the future, John and I will definitely talk about some of our personal issues and personal stories that we've had with living settings. And yeah, that is that is going to be a rant. So, that was the setting spotlight on Forgotten Realms. What do we have up next? Uh, next on Save vs. Rant, we are going to be talking about settings and genres. What makes them tick? It's going to be a discussion of what the core assumptions of different genres and settings are, how we believe you can best challenge those assumptions or play into them, and how you can use genres as a way of springboarding your game in a recognizable way that your players will enjoy and take interest in. So once again, this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening. 
Because of the friends I have known, the honorable people I have met, I know I am no solitary hero of unique causes. I know now that when I die, I will live on. That which is important will live on. This is my legacy, and by the grace of the gods, I am not alone. R.A. Salvatore's Dritz de Word. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. New episodes are released on the first and third Monday of each month. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.